Our lesson at this hour revolves around two individuals whom we shall call Sid and Cindy. And there are very many very important lessons that we shall need to learn from the message of this hour. We want to invite every one of you here in the studio, and we want to invite those of you that are viewing to take notes during the presentation. And then you'll be ready to meditate on them and to summarize them, and then to share them everywhere we go, and especially in our own individual lives. When Sid and Cindy were married, Cindy had a deep need of love. And you'll notice as we proceed in this presentation that her great need for love became an obsession that appeared to, to Sid as being very, very selfish. But let me go a little bit into the background of Cindy because it may help us as parents, those of us who are parents, to be able to relate to our boys and girls and this will help them not to go into the type of obsession in which Cindy went. Cindy was reared in a Christian home, so-called Christian home. But for some reason, and maybe, maybe some of you would be able to tell us, for some reason, dad was too busy. Have you ever heard of a dad that was too busy for his children? And mother wasn't very much better. I'm not looking at you as though you were the mother that wasn't much better. <laughs> and so Cindy grew up in this home craving love, craving acceptance, praying to the Lord that in her heart, if she knew how to pray, you know, in the unspoken request, I wish somebody would love me. So when Cindy married, the thought came to her mind, ah, now I'm going to have the love that I've been craving for such a long period of time. Oh, what a privilege this is going to be. But she didn't realize, and her parents didn't realize what they'd made her. Before we go any farther, friends, if you have a child in your home that doesn't seem to be too loving, <clears throat> you be loving. The Lord Jesus seems to specialize in blessing and in loving the unlovable. Because how can the unlovable become lovable unless the, the principle revealed in 1 John 4, 19 is observed? We love him because he first loved us. The thing that creates a love and a, and a beautiful uh, relaxation in young people is to be loved. But poor Cindy... <clears throat> not realizing the love that she should in the home. She just knew that she would have a lot of love in her marriage. In fact, they courted for about two years. So everything seemed to be going so lovely and so beautifully until they married. When they married, uh, Sid was still doing a little university work. And so Cindy was helping him with with a lot of secretarial work, for she was a good secretary, and she was working with a firm to help him to finish up his schooling. And when he finished his schooling, to her amazement, instead of saying, now I'll have a lot of time for you, Sid had a lot of time for the boys. He could go out golfing, any kind of sport he would engage in. So when Sidney came back from her work, for uh, Sid had not yet 
gotten his position. And when, when Sidney came back from work, Sid might be off somewhere with the boys, bowling, golfing, what have you. And uh, <laughs> he kind of had the impression that he'd married a wife to sort of be a pickup girl, <laughs> you know. And so as he'd leave, clothes were scattered all over the house. When she'd come back from work, she would pick up these clothes and put them in their place, and, and then Sid would come home maybe 10.30 at night, and, and then she said, he gave me no companionship, and all it seemed that he wanted was sex. He seemed to th see this, think that this was a, a vital part of marriage. And she said, I couldn't see a marriage that was merely sex, and there was no companionship. He didn't sh seem to have any regard for me as an individual. He seemed to just enjoy it that I was earning the living, while he was out just enjoying one sport after another, having the greatest time of his life. She said, I finally came home one day and I said, Sid, you either get busy and get a job or we're through. She said, he woke up just a little bit. But she said, our marriage continued in this horrible pattern for year after year. And then we held a series of meetings. We held a ser two series of meetings at a camp meeting that Cindy attended. And as we were speaking at this camp meeting, we looked into the faces of the people and, and there was Sid and Cindy. We didn't know them from a man in the moon, but we were talking to these people. And one of the outstanding things we we're sharing with people was, be happy, just like you are. <laughs> and you know, there are not very many people look as happy as you do. Sid and Cindy were sitting there. As I say, I'd never met them. They were sitting there, you know, as, they, as though they had just finished losing their last friend. We, didn't have a, we had a few people that were as happy as you, but not very many. And we thought, my, we had actually, we had thousands in, attending at this, in attendance at this camp meeting. And there were a lot of people re responding just like you. And we, when the camp meeting was all ended, <clears throat> I said, my, I want to tell you, when we've been teaching people a program of, of drilling themselves and being happy, these people have accepted it. But I was in for a surprise. You've noticed the prayer that we've been praying here, session after session. We've been praying, Lord, help me not to be a, merely a hearer of the word, but a doer. Sid and Cindy attended every one of our series at that camp meeting, two a day, and about, oh, maybe three months later, we went to their city. And when we came to the city, the very first night of our meetings, Cindy came to me and she said, I have a deep problem. I wonder if, if you'd be able to help me. I said, well, Cindy, I'm sorry that everything is full. My, my whole program is packed until Tuesday night. Would that be all right? She said, well, yes. And from Friday night until Tuesday, as I would speak, I would look into Cindy's face, and I noticed that Cindy didn't have a face that you have. She was, she was sitting there night after night, and I said, Lord, help me. Help me. What in the world can, will be the, the, the trouble with Cindy? I think I know. I think probably she was weaned on a spiritual pickle, and she is is reflecting it. 
And as I was claiming the promise for the Holy Spirit and the promise for wisdom, for those are the two promises I claim during every meeting and every consultation, the Lord impressed me. You know what's wrong with Cindy? She has never come to the conclusion that she can be happy in Jesus Christ regardless of conditions. She thinks that she's justified in being unhappy if there's certain conditions that don't meet her approval. So Tuesday night, as I visited with Cindy, this was her story. She said, Pastor, I'm married to a medical doctor. They were in the 30s. She said, he's a good guy. <laughs> Speaking of guy, <laughs> a guy. You know, uh, you know, brother, when I, was a, when I was a boy, very seldom was a man even a guy. <laughs> now, you know, even girls are guys. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? She said, my husband is a, she said, he's a good guy. But she said, you know, I can't stand the ground that man walks on. I have such a revulsion to him. Pastor, can you help me? And you know, as I was asking the Lord for the Holy Spirit and wisdom, the Lord spoke so clearly to my, to my heart, give her the 10-point program. How many here this, at this hour know what the 10-point program is? May I see your hands? Well, they're just about half. I'll review it then. And if, if those in the viewing audience feel that I review it too much, you'll know after I'm through with this story that I haven't reviewed it half enough. For I learned that Cindy had been there to meeting after meeting where we'd shared this, and she never dreamed it was for her. She was one of these individuals, a, a pitchfork Christian. They pitched the message over their shoulder. Oh, I know other people need that, but I don't need it. I said, uh, Cindy, yes. I have something that can completely change your home. It can change your revulsion into deep love. Oh, wonderful. But I said, Cindy, will you do what I, what I give you? Will you do it? She said, Pastor, I'll do anything. I said, it will work. Will you do it? <clears throat> See, that's why we pray this prayer. Lord, help me not to be a hearer, but a doer. She said, I'll do it. I said, all right, here's what you'll do. Tomorrow morning when you get up, on a little cardboard about two inches square or a thick sheet of paper that you cut that small, you'll make a little column of words, <clears throat> ten words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Each of these words that you write represents one thing for which you should be grateful. By the way, anybody ever do that here? Have you done it? Oh, wonderful. No wonder you have such a smile. It works, does it? Good for you. It does work. I said, then tomorrow morning, on a little, very, very small sheet of paper, so you can carry it right in your hand, you see. You'll cut it very narrow, about an inch, an inch and a half square, so ten little words. Then each of the, the first word might be air. <laughs> How many remember when we discussed air at another session? What would we say, everybody? Thank you, Lord, for the air. And then we'd stop a moment and say, what would I do if I couldn't breathe? Then we'd say again, thank you, Lord, for the air. That's what we call the sandwich. Two slices that are like in the filling. The two sandwiches are, thank you, Lord, for the air. Thank you, Lord, for the air. But before we say the second thank you for the Lord for the air, we say, my, just suppose I had emphysema, you know. Suppose I'd found it very hard to breathe like so many people. Yes, thank you, Lord, for the air. So I said, you'll make a list of these 10 words tomorrow 
and all day tomorrow while your husband is away at his practice and the child at school and your little child at home, you'll say, thank you, Lord, for so-and-so. Thank you, Lord, for so-and-so. And I gave her a Bible text. Does anyone in this, in this audience right here with me remember the outstanding text to which we comply that is an equation? Anyone remember it? Nehemiah 8.10. That's right, sir. You got it. Nehemiah 8.10. And this is what it says. Remember, it's a Bible equation. Joy plus the Lord equals strength. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. I said, so you'll, you'll say, thank you. That's joy. Thank you, Lord. That's the joy of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for air. The next one might, might be Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. The next might be forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. And I would say to our medical doctor here tonight, he would be saying to someone, if, if they came to you, you'd say, and, and say, thank you, Lord, for health. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for eyesight. I said, and do that all day long. Just go into this beautiful drill. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Will you do it? She said, yes. Come tomorrow night and report. The next night she came, and she gave me the most interesting report regarding the 10-point program I have ever heard. She said, Pastor, when I got up this morning and it dawned over me the terrible promise that I'd made you, I'd made you a promise that I was going to be happy, and I didn't want to be happy. <laughs> she said, so. So I said, I, she said, I rationalized. I said, my husband is here. They'll think I'm crazy if I start saying, thank you, Lord. So she said, I said, no, no, I can't do it. But my husband went to his practice. One of our children went to school. It left me with a little girl. And she said, I, I said, if I say, thank you, Lord, for the air, even my little girl will think I've, I'm ready to be committed. But she said, finally, I said, well, I did promise. I really promised the pastor. Okay. She said, Pastor Kuhn, it took me one hour straight to think of even one thing for which to be grateful. <laughs> Just think of it. It takes a person an hour to say, I thank you, Lord, for air. As we mentioned the other session, what, what only would she have needed to have done? What? Held her breath <laughs> for three minutes. She said, thank you, Lord, for the air. Thank you, Lord, for the air. You know, we're taking too much for granted, aren't we? She said, it took me all day to make my list of 10 things. And she said, and, and when I began to express it, I see, she said, I didn't dare to say, thank you, Lord, for the air. So I turned to my little girl and I said, honey, don't you thank the Lord for the air? And she said, my girl looked at me much as say, what in the world has happened to you, mommy? Right then, her personality was changing. She said, and though it took me all day to make the list, pastor, she said, I am 50% improved. I said, tomorrow make another list of 10, then you have 20. That'll keep you rather busy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See? She said, I'll do it. <clears throat> the next night, at the end of 48 hours, she brought me a letter. She said, dear pastor, I am absolutely cured. The revulsion has completely gone. Now, those of you who are with our, at our session, 
some time ago, remember that there are 826 texts of Scripture on which this thank you program is based. One of them is Psalm 34.1. Bless the Lord, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Another is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Another is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What do you think of that? Isn't that tremendous? She said, I'm cured. She said, would you tell me, Pastor, <clears throat> what in the world is there about this program that had such an effect? Well, I said, you see, you had never heard it before. I said, I gave it, I don't know how many times at camp meeting just a few months ago. She said, I sat there and heard those programs. I heard you give the whole thing, and it never dawned over me that it was for me. Do you see why we pray this prayer together? Lord, help me not to be a hearer only, but a doer. She said, and now to realize what's happened. <clears throat> she said, but would you, would you please tell me? <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> she said, would you please tell me why this had this effect on me? How would this, how does it work? I said, the Bible says in Psalm 22 verse 3 that the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is the strength of the love life in your home. The more you are thankful and buoyant, and then it says that the Lord dwells in the praises of his people. Psalm 22 3. He dwells in the praises of his people. And 1 John 5 8, 12 says, He that hath the Son has life. So as you praise him, Jesus comes and saturates you with his life. And part of that life is how to live a happy home, and it takes care of revulsion. It's a healing life. Well, she said, this is tremendous, but I want to ask you a question, Pastor. What's going to happen when you leave? I said, Cindy, all in the world I did was to tell you about it. All you have to do is do what the Bible says, and you'll be happy. Okay. My wife and I, this was in the West Coast, my wife and I went right after that series back to our home in Tennessee, and we were there for about seven months in that area. Seven months or so later, we came back to the West Coast, went up into Canada, about 100 miles from where Sid and Cindy lived. And one evening, as I was speaking, in walked Sid and Cindy. And when I went home that night, I said to my wife, did you see Sid and Cindy? They were here. They came up from the States into Canada. She said, I saw them. She said, did you see her holding his hand? I said, no, I missed that. She said, they were so happy. I said, we've got to go down and see them between series. When we got down to their city, we called the pastor's residence to get directions because they were out in the country. The pastor's wife answered. I didn't tell her who I was. I said, could you tell me where Dr. and Mrs. Blank live? She said, wait a minute. This sounds to me like the voice of Glenn Coon. I said, it is. She said, you're supposed to be back in Tennessee. I said, I was there. I've come back again. She said, Pastor, before I give you the directions to their home, I want to tell you something. She said, if, if you accomplish nothing in this church while you're here except that one thing, that lady's personality is completely changed from a crabby, negative, pessimistic soul. She's a bubbling over Christian. Oh, I said, I can hardly wait to get there, or words to that effect. 
When my wife and I finally found their home and we rang the doorbell, out came Cindy. Brother, what a face. It was beaming. She said, Pastor, it's lasted. It's lasted. I believe it was nine months from the time we held the series. She said, let me call my, my husband. He came over from the doctor's office. And we chatted for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I said, by the way, doctor, uh, it may be that you have some patients waiting for you. And then I learned that his waiting room was absolutely packed full of patients. He was so happy for what had happened in his home that he almost forgot his patients. She said, I ask you to last. Pastor, it has lasted. Friends, do you know? God's principles are so simple. They're so simple that what we have to do is just reach up and take God at his word. Now, I have something else to share with you, and this isn't good. And brother, may I share it with you, this fine-looking brother with the glasses? Let me share it with you. <clears throat> After Sid and Cindy were happy for one year straight, practically, Cindy said, you know, that sounds silly to me. I don't think that I'm going to keep thanking the Lord like this. I see nothing to it. She went back to her old negative ways. About 12 years later, <clears throat> we met her again in a series of meetings. She said, Pastor, I have cancer. But I think everything's going to be all right. Later, she told me I was just whistling in the dark. She said, I was scared to death. We prayed for her. She came back a year later. <sighs> cancer was all through her body. We prayed for her again. Are you praising the Lord? No, I left that off about 13 years ago. What do you think of that? Three summers ago, she called us by long distance. We're in Chicago area. Pastor, I'm dying. I can still move. I can still walk around, but the doctor says there's no hope. Could you come up and pray for me? I said, we're right at camp meeting. You fly down and we'll pray for you during our camp meeting. She flew down. One of our teammates picked her up at the airport. She came out on the campground. We had several series of, of prayers for her. We suggested that she claim God's promise for all she was worth. She left that campground. <clears throat> she said, do you know, I like the way you talk about healing. You aren't talking the pessimistic language of the day. You're telling about the wonderful love of God. <clears throat> she said, I have spent, my husband has spent $10,000 on me for, psychiat for, uh, for psychiatrists. And she said, had I taken the simple remedy based on the 826 texts of Scripture, I could have been a well woman. She said, but I can say this. Our cancerous marriage is being saved. Don't you thank the Lord? Friends, if you have a cancerous relationship with anyone, why not put into practice God's love joy program? What do you say? Time for our questions and answers. Our first question uh, this evening is our 16-year-old son sort of pulls away when we try to hug him. How and what promise can we claim to help both us and him? 
First of all, <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, in the last verses, it says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that as a little tiny boy starts growing up, there are things that he doesn't want us to do to him that he did want when he was a little fellow. One of the things that most boys don't like is to have a mother, and oftentimes even a daddy, put an arm around them. There's some exceptions. There's some very rare exceptions. I read just the other day of a teenage boy who was in great trouble, and when his mother stepped over to where he was and placed her arm around him, he put his head up next to hers and said, Mother, this means so much. But remember, as a rule, a teenage son doesn't want his mommy <laughs> or his daddy to place their arm around him. He wouldn't object to having a teenage girl do it. You see, this is because he's becoming a man. So remember that this could be almost an insult to him. There are other ways to let him know that we appreciate him. Now, what are some of the other ways by which we might know? I wonder if somebody here would like to tell us some other ways by which parents could, uh, could make clear to a teenage son that you appreciate him without hugging him. Is there a hand here? How could a teenage boy... Uh, what is that? Shake his hand. Shake his hand. Thank you. That's better than hugging. Thank you. Is there something else? What we're trying to do, we're trying to tell this teenage son that we accept him, right? The hug overdoes it to him in most cases. Uh, we can shake his hand, but would a daddy, as a rule, go up and shake a, a, a his son's hand? Not too often. So what else might he do? Say thank you and mean it. That's good. Someone else. Right here. Give him a word of appreciation. Give him a word of appreciation. That's what you're going to say. And did you? No, praise him. Praise him for what he's doing. Compliment him. You know, I have, I have a sermon I used to preach entitled, Let's Treat Our Teenagers Like Dogs. <laughs> and when I announced it that evening, <laughs> People thought, what in the world is this coon going to say about dogs? I said, let me make clear to you what it means. I said, when you train a dog, you ask the dog to do something, and every time he does it, what do you do? You do what? You reward him. You reward the dog, but when your teenager does it, what do you say? Well, you better do it from now on, too. See? Let's treat our teenagers like dogs, <laughs> like our pet dogs. <laughs> that would be a little better, wouldn't it? But I figured if I put the word pet before, I'd give away my message before I gave it. That's right. Compliment them. Uh, praise them. Sincere compliments. Nothing like it. All right? Thank you. The next question. This questioner wants to know, how can you glory in your trials? There are two or three Bible texts that uh, are, are very appropriate. Number one is, in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says that if we will rejoice in trials, it will develop patience. Now, how can we rejoice in trials? Romans 8, 28 and Romans 8, 32 tells us the basis 
on which we can rejoice in trouble. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And four verses later it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What it is saying is this. It says, A God that loved us so much that he surrendered his own son to go through the agonies of a life and death in this world will never overlook us. He will, he will filter every trial before he lets it come to us, you see. So when we realize that God is, is guarding over us, he's only permitting the trials to come to us to refine us, it helps us to take altogether a different attitude. Now, the next text is Romans 13, Romans, the 15th chapter and the 13th verse. There's joy and peace in believing. When I believe that God is keeping his word, it brings me joy and peace. Just to go around saying to people, smile, that's, that's superficial. My smile, my rejoicing must be based on my believing that God will not let me down. The next one. Pastor Kuhn, I've read a book that says that you should praise the Lord for even the bad things. This doesn't make sense. Shouldn't you just praise the Lord that he's going to get you through the bad thing? Well, really, that's what we do, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if we missed an accident, we say, praise the Lord, I missed that accident, right? I was, my wife and I were reading a book, just uh, we're reading it for worship. And the lady was telling how easy it is for her to praise the Lord for the good things. Oh, thank the Lord, I didn't have any trouble today. Thank the Lord, my cold is better. These are things we've been thanking the Lord for. Now to come along and say, well, thank the Lord for that stiff knee. How about that? Why? Why? Because God knows what I need to develop patience. God doesn't give me the stiff knee. But God permits the stiff knee to come, you see. And he permits this to develop in me the patience. The devil tries to destroy me, and God says to the devil, like he said to, Job, uh, to the devil in, in regard to Job, he said, look, you can only do so much to Glenn Coon. Why not more? Because Glenn Coon may not be able to take any more, you see. It's wonderful to know we have a God of love like that. This question says, I heard you quote the psalmist where he said, praise the Lord with your whole heart. I'm kind of confused. What does the Bible mean when it says heart? Is your soul or your spirit or your emotions or what is it? Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the heart in this case is the mind. We're to praise the Lord with all our mind. But, but the text in Psalms that I think you'd like would be Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, what is this all that's within us? All that's within us. The sense of touch, so we write down ten things. The sense of sight, we see ourselves writing it. The sense of speech, we say it. Thank you, Lord, for this. The sense of hearing, we hear ourselves say it. 
And as we keep this little cardboard or slip of paper in our palm of our hand, we're always having the touch. As we look at it, as we say it, we're employing touch, sight, speech, and hearing. And the more we employ all of these special senses, the more rapidly we can find the response on the part of the Lord. How can you tell when God is speaking to you? Does this come with more time reading and praying or what? The Lord speaks to us in several ways. There's been a quotation that my wife and I have had on the wall of our house back in Tennessee for many years. Of course, we're traveling now most of the year in the motorhome. And this quotation I have from my favorite author, and I liked it very much because I felt that if I would put it up on the wall and write it there and, and hold it there, it would keep impressing me. And the statement went like this. The disposing of events is of God's providence. Now, that's a modern way of saying what Romans 8.28 says. Romans 8.28 says, what does that say? All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. This statement came from that beautiful book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 268. The disposing of events is of God's providence. It is saying any event that takes place, don't hate it, don't fight it, don't get angry over it. God has permitted this for a very special purpose. He counts every hair of our head. He hasn't forgotten us. He isn't looking the other way. So no matter what happens, if we realize this is of God's providence, the only thing for us to do is to say, Lord, help me to make a joyful response. Help me, Lord, to realize you permitted this to come to me. In many cases, the Lord permits things to come to us, not merely for ourselves, but so that we'll be a witness to others. You see, how are other people going to know whether our Christianity is genuine unless we make the right response to trials? If we go around moaning and crying and sighing, that's no response to the Christ who died on Calvary, right? So when we say, thank the Lord, now the question is, let me make the Christ-centered response to every situation that seems ungood. Then we're not merely blessing ourselves, we're a witness to Jesus Christ. Do you know the witness to Christ? The greatest witness for Jesus is how we act in trouble. Study it over. Seems like that kind of goes along with this question. Some terrible things have happened in my family, and all the neighbors know about it. And it seems to me, if I start rejoicing like you suggested, the neighbors will all think I'm a ninny. They aren't Christians, and they know that I am. Well, praise the Lord. What an opportunity it is to begin praising the Lord. Now, it is true that if, if, you, <laughs> if you went around among your neighbors and say, my child is sick, oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so happy. They wouldn't think you're ready to be committed, you see. But when, when they hear you say, my child is sick, but the Christ that died on Calvary has not forgotten me. And I'm going to rejoice that Jesus knows what to permit. You see, it's not the amount of frothy rejoicing, but it's rather letting people know that we know that Jesus Christ has not let us down. Amen? When uh, a person finds a promise that works, why is it that we forget and go back to the old ways? <laughs> it's because we're so human. 
Isn't it a shame we're just so human? <laughs> I've thought so many times here, I've been teaching this for 31 years, and I've been amazed at how many times I'll forget a simple promise that I've been claiming for years, perhaps. But this is what we can do. We can say, Dear Lord, send your Holy Spirit, because you have said that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance the things that you have spoken. And one of those is found in, uh, in John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. And we can say, Dear Lord, I'm going to claim this. Another promise to claim in great trouble, especially when the devil is tempting us to have bad thoughts, is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Just this snatch. It says, We shall be like him. I've learned in my life that when the devil puts in my mind thoughts that aren't good, if I'll just lift my head a little toward heaven, say, thank you, Lord. You've said I'll be like Jesus. Jesus would think a different thought than the devil is trying to get me to think. We shall be like him. What a promise. Thank you, Lord, for making me like Jesus. Try it. Is there another question? And the last time? question is, is it true that God does things? For instance, some say that God puts the president in office. Is this true, or does God simply allow things to work out the way they are best to work? Uh, both are true. You'll find that the Bible says God sets up kings and he removes kings. But it's a language of appearances, meaning that God permits this person to sit on the throne. And then God sees that he is removed and permits his removal when he fails to live up to the mission in life. You'll find this all through the Old Testament. My, if we had time, we could spend an hour on this. You'll find king after king of Israel and of Judah. You'll find king after king. When they were strong, they became heady, high-minded, and lost out. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.